Hello, Catherine here. If you're listening to my podcast because you're a fan of wintering, the good news is that my new book, Enchantment, is available now. It's a book about how we can find a way to reconnect with a world that's sometimes hard to live in and even to find magic there. It's available in all good bookshops and please support your local indie if you can. For more information, you can go to katherine-may.com forward slash enchantment. Happy reading. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. So uh, this is a special episode of the Wintering Sessions. Uh, we're re-airing the episode, one of the first episodes I recorded with Raina Wynne, uh, but just in time for the release of her new book, Landlines, uh, which is coming out on the 15th of September. Ray, tell us about your new book. Well, it's about a very, very long walk. <laughs> it starts really in um, the winter of 2021 and we were all in lockdown and uh, the, the final lockdown. And you hope the final lockdown. Well, of that moment, it was the final <laughs> lockdown. It had been a really difficult winter because moth, my husband, who suffers from a neurodegenerative disease, as I've talked about before, needs to walk quite a lot, as often as possible, and to keep really physically active, to keep on top of his his condition. But lockdown meant that we were really confined to our area. We couldn't walk far other than round the block, a couple of miles, and that was it, really, and it wasn't enough. And his health was deteriorating really, really quickly, to the point where... He actually was starting to think that the final stages of that illness were starting to kick in and he was heading towards a point of really no return. And he'd almost given up hope, really. But after we'd, you know, we'd fought so hard and for so long to keep on top of that illness, I couldn't, I couldn't accept it. I couldn't accept that that was what was coming. Not yet. I wasn't ready. 
and uh, I went to get the gloves to pick up the logs for the stove one day and just behind the log basket was the pile of books on the bookcase and it was a pile of guidebooks, guidebooks to walks and in amongst that there there was a salt path guidebook that's just like held together with an elastic hairband and like rippled like the beach when the tide goes out and going up was the Iceland one that sort of smells of sulphur and grit. <laughs> and then there was this other one, and it was a little thin volume that had never been used, but it was a place that I knew Moth really, really wanted to go. And it was the Cape Wrath Trail, which is the most remote, the most difficult, unwaymarked path in, in Britain. And it starts in the very northwest of Scotland and runs down to Fort William. It's 230 miles through through the, the wildest part of Britain, through the great wilderness of Scotland and through the, the rough bounds of Noydart. And I thought if anywhere would persuade him to just try one more time, it would be that. So I left it out on the table. <laughs> and he put it away and I put it back on the table and he put it away and we argued and I put it on the kitchen worktop and eventually he said, OK, when, when are we going then? <laughs> and uh, eventually, you know, after just a little bit of preparation for him because he was at the point where when we'd walked those two miles around the block at home, um, he was having to sleep for two hours afterwards because it was just wearing him out. And like all of us, you know, we'd come to know our locality very, very well and, and there was not much stimulation left in that walk. Um, but he kept trying and it got to the point where we only slept for 20 minutes after after that walk and um, then we thought, well, we're ready to go now. <laughs> and we headed to the north of Scotland. Mm, that sounds incredible. I love the way that so much of your work has become about keeping on walking and why it's so important metaphorically and physically to just keep moving through the landscape? I think so. I think it's about the forward motion. I think it's about allowing yourself to keep going forwards. But also there's something really physical about just putting one foot in front of another, in front of another, and just taking the next step and the next step. It's It almost allows you to... Reset yourself because it puts you outside of the everyday. Because you know this, Catherine, that just by walking a long distance, you are, you go into another place. It's almost like a meditation, I think, where things start to fall away, where the anxieties and the, the feelings that we carry just start to fall away. Also, it's what we're made for. It's what we're built to do. Um, so physically, it can only be beneficial to us. Mm. And yeah, 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 we keep walking. <laughs> so uh, Ray's book comes out on the 15th of September. It is pre-orderable as you listen and maybe even orderable depending on when you're listening. But do now take a listen to what she said when she first spoke to me in the very first season of the Wintering Sessions a couple of years ago. Enjoy. Yes, 
you too, Catherine. It's been ages. It's been really ages. And um, we have had trauma with the tech today. So thank you for sticking with me. We met because of our shared love of the Southwest Coast Path, really. I think it's fair to say we were we were put on a, a panel together. Yes, we were, weren't we, at uh, Budley? Is it two years ago now? It must be two years ago. Yeah. So it feels like a long, long time ago. So we both had books out at the same time. Yours is much more famous than mine. I I will put that out there straight away. But you are the author of The Salt Path, which is such a beautiful book about your journey around the Southwest Coast Path after you were made homeless. And I I really love to talk about that today. But first of all, I'd love to ask you, because you live in Cornwall, what's Cornwall like at the moment under lockdown? How's it all going for you? Um, It's actually gone quite well for me because I think I'm very suited to a life of isolation, actually. (laughs) (laughs) So um, it's just been Moth and myself here, where we are, um, in a very, very quiet spot where maybe one car has passed per day and then a girl with a dog that we look out for every morning at 11 (laughs) (laughs) o'clock. And that's been that's been our lockdown. So and we're still here. We're still more or less still isolated in the house. Yeah, it sounds very peaceful. I think because I'm in a slightly busier coastal town, we've had loads and loads of tourists come in the last few weeks and it's been quite troubling, really. Just the beach being absolutely packed and full of kind of huge groups of of youths. I've reached the age now and I look at them and I think, oh gosh, youths, they're drinking. Um, <laughs> I like to think I'm the only one that can drink on the beach, but apparently other people do it too. And yeah, it's been peaceful for a long time, but now it's not peaceful. And that's been been quite intimidating, really, because it's it's hard seeing lockdown just disappear. But um, I'm glad it was lovely where you are. Yeah, it's been the same here, I think, um, out in a wider world. I think I think same issues been going on here. But for us, it's it's carried on being quite quiet. So very lucky. Very well, that lucky. sounds like heaven. You've chosen the right place to live. <laughs> um, so let's talk about The Salt Path, which is the book that massively made your reputation. I'd love to actually talk a little bit about that later, because I, I, I think it must have been really hard for you to suddenly have that explode in the way it did and for so many people to feel so passionately about it. But first of all, let's talk about the book itself. And I know that you'll be great at telling the story of it. But two things happened at the beginning of the book that, that began your, your journey. First of all, Moth, your husband, became ill and you also lost your house at the same time. Can you take us through that? Yes, yes. It, it was, if we go back a little bit further than the uh, start of the book, really, it so probably puts it more into context, really. I met Moth when I was a teenager. Moth, my husband, when I was a teenager, I was I was 18. And I was in the college canteen and looked up across the room <laughs> and just saw this young man in a white shirt with dazzling blue eyes, dipping a Mars bar in a cup of tea. <laughs> and I thought, you know, that's the one for me. <laughs> And weirdly, it turned out to be because he's still here. <laughs> but uh, we sort of had this dream that we would find a, a, a ruin somewhere in the hills, a place that we could restore and create a home and a way of life that would be ours entirely. Mm. And that's what we did. By the time we were about 30, we bought a, a ramshackle old place in the hills of Wales. And we spent the next 20 years of our life restoring it. And we kept sheep and hens and grew vegetables and two children um, <laughs> yeah it was it was like the perfect life like the idyllic life it, we, it sounds absolutely idyllic yeah 
absolutely was. It was what we imagined it would be, and, and we, we had it. But then, um, sadly, at the same time, we had a dispute, a financial dispute with a lifetime friend that ended up in a court case. Mm. We served with conviction notice from that home. and That's uh, not idyllic at all. No, that is not idyllic, and it was absolutely devastating. At the time, we thought probably the worst thing that could possibly happen to us. Mm. But then during the week that we were given to pack up and leave the house. So a week of trying to pack 20 years of our life into boxes. During that week, Moth had a what we thought was going to be just a routine hospital appointment. And it turned out to be anything but, because he was diagnosed with corticobasal degeneration, um, CBD, that's a neurodegenerative disease that has no treatment, no cure. Um, so just in that one week, it was as if our entire lives had been wiped out. Everything that we'd worked towards and the whole future that we imagined just gone in a week. It's extraordinary, isn't it, how life can come at you like that sometimes. It's never just one thing. It seems that these things come in terrible, terrible clusters. Oh, yes. Don't you find that? It's never one thing at a time. It's always everything. Everything at once. But I mean, for you, I always, I always think that both sides of your sense of security were hit at once. You know, your your sense of home and financial stability which is, you know, seems trivial when you talk about moth's illness in comparison, but it, it actually isn't, is it? Those things can be incredibly undermining. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because your home is everything that you sort of structure your life around, isn't it? You, you create yeah. a, you create the format of your life and it encompasses your home. But then for moth to become ill as well, that was doubly yeah, that's terrifying. Did did they yeah. give a kind of time period that they're expecting him to? Yeah, so at the time that they said we'd probably be lucky if it was two years, most of that would be a rapid decline into poor health, really. So terrifying, but, and from nothing really, from from him seeming completely fine, you had this, you were given this vision of this future that you couldn't quite comprehend. Absolutely. I mean, he'd, he'd had a problem with his shoulder and we thought it was because he'd fallen through the barn roof. Um, and we were expecting him to say, well, it's ligament damage and we'll just sew you back together and that'll be that. But then it wasn't. So, yeah, it was, it was an absolute shock. So reading from that, you packed up the whole house. Yes. And then what? Yes, we got the whole house was packed. It was the very, very last moment. Um, the bailiffs were knocking at the door, waiting to change the lock. Mm-hmm. And um, we were hiding under the stairs. Uh, it wasn't It wasn't that we were hiding under the stairs thinking some miracle was going to happen and um, um, we weren't going to have to leave. It was just we weren't ready. Just mm-hmm. we weren't ready to take that very last step over the thresholds, just knowing that we would never, ever go back. Mm-hmm. Just hanging on to that last minute of, of some kind of security, normality, safety, yeah. call it what you like, I don't know. But in, it was in that moment that I spotted a book in a packing case that hadn't gone out of the door. And it was uh, Mark Wallington's 500 Mile Walkies. <laughs> it's the story of Mark Wallington as a young man who uh, walks around the southwest coast path with a dog that he's borrowed from a friend and a rucksack that he borrowed from someone else, someone else and walks the what he seems to describe as 500 miles of the southwest coast path <laughs> <laughs> and just in that moment that horrible desperate moment it just seemed like the most obvious thing to 
to do. Just fill a rucksack and go for a walk. <laughs> Have you always been a spontaneous kind of a person? Because I'm not. And so I can't imagine making that decision at that point. Um, spontaneous. I don't know. Um, maybe there was always something of that in me somewhere. I don't know. I looked up, I saw Moth that first time and I just knew I'd be with him forever. Other odd little moments in my life, maybe, maybe spontaneous. But I sort of, I was 50, for goodness sake. How spontaneous almost was 50, not very. <laughs> but just then, there, everything had gone. You know, the whole construct of our life had gone. It was it was the last moments, the last threads of hanging on to some sort of normality. So I think then when you take everything away, then anything becomes possible. And maybe even if you're the biggest planner in the world, which I think I'd probably become quite a planner, then you, you can change in those situations. You can just become something else without even planning to do so. <laughs> it, it's amazing. <laughs> so let's talk about the path, um, because we both know it intimately you more than me because you slept along the way what were your first impressions what were those first few days like of of walking well I think I think you've been you've been there you, you know what yeah. it's like I think <laughs> plan as much as you like you can read the guidebooks you can read other people's blogs but nothing compares to when you get there and you stand there in Minehead and you look at the start of the path and it heads up that that cliff through the woods yeah. And um, and you realise just how steep it is, <laughs> how difficult it's going to be. <laughs> and you, you stand there and you think, what on earth am I doing? I mean, you tend to think that walking is fine. Like I, you think I can walk, I can walk anywhere. And the southwest coast path very quickly tells you that you can't walk anywhere, that actually it takes you hours to get a mile sometimes and it hurts so much (laughs) it hurts from the first step to the very last it's just pain but it's about getting used to the pain isn't it (laughs) Yeah, you get used to the pain and uh, you develop techniques, I think, don't you? I mean, I, I became a better walker, but it took me a long time and I just hated it for quite a while. <laughs> yes, that, that's it. You, you're absolutely right when you say you think you can walk. Well, we all think we can walk, don't we? And you might just go for a casual 10 mile walk at the weekend and feel great. But when you put that rucksack on your back and you head up that, it's a roller coaster, isn't it, that path? It's you, no sooner have you climbed up onto a headland than you back down to sea level again. And Absolutely. that just goes on and on all day, every day. It's really- and, and it's often raining while that's happening. I mean, let's be blunt. The sun does not shine on it for a lot of the year. <laughs> well, we were, we were. I don't know how, whether you would describe it as lucky or not, but um, for quite a, a large proportion of our walk, it wasn't just hot. It was intensely hot. It was, it was um, a year when, it was climbing up to about 38 degrees some days. Wow. And, you know, on the north coast, there's hardly any shelter. After you get past Crevelli, um, it sort of becomes just bare headlands and yeah, there's yeah. hardly any shelter. So it, it was tricky in parts, that's for sure. Yeah, Such yeah. an awful lot of dehydration going on. <laughs> yeah, I was the opposite. I was, I was, you know, experiencing kind of flooded paths and lashing rain and, and wind. It, it seems that it gets you either way. Well, we did have some storms. We had some incredible storms. And that path, when it gets wet, it becomes like a, well, it's, it just turns to sort of 
slime under your feet, doesn't it? It's it, yeah. It's, you yeah. could ski along it. It's it's very tricky to walk when it's wet. That's yeah, sure. I mean, there's a very real risk of falling down a massive cliff into the sea for quite a lot of the time. I think. <laughs> time, yeah. You could you could fall into the sea. There could be a landslide, and you could. Yep, yep. The sea. You could be blown into the sea. <laughs> so many different ways it could get you. I really... Yeah, so many ways. <laughs> so, oh yeah, I I'm I'm fascinated by why I love it so much, and you do too. I think. I mean, we're we're being negative, but absolutely, um... absolutely. There's something so magnetic about it, though, isn't there? I think there's something after a few miles, after a few days that path starts to draw you along, doesn't it? There, there is something, like I say, it's, there's something magical about being on that strip of wilderness, mm. so separate from, from the ordinary world on one side and that endless horizon of the sea on the other. It's like you're trapped in a in a world apart. It really, it does. It feels very otherworldly. And I, you're not far from civilization because you never really are in the UK, I don't think. But it feels like you step into a different world and it's so utterly absorbing and beautiful, but also so physically hard. And that's that absorbs you, too. I'm really interested to know how it helps you to process what was going on being on on that path. Did it take your mind off things or did it let your mind go on to things as it were it's a strange thing isn't it um we started out thinking that we would have lots of time to think lots of time to talk through how we'd come to that point and how to you know formulate some kind of future going on but we found we didn't really talk about anything much at all other than you know where we were going to sleep that night or or where we'd get the next bag of noodles and (laughs) (laughs) it, it became almost like a meditation I think when you've you've walked for many hours it becomes a matter of taking the next step and the next step and and each step becomes a a success doesn't it uh, each, each headland that you manage to get up is, is a, a battle won and and it becomes your entire focus mm. and I think that empties your head in a lot of ways and it stops you thinking because because life becomes really immediate it becomes about really literally about that next step and I think that in itself has a has the ability to allow your your brain to calm it allows the the panic to subside Mm. and something far more elemental to take over and I think the salvation was in that actually yeah I can I can imagine how it would be incredibly comforting I mean it it puts you back into contact with survival in a different way to the way that we understand it in an everyday sense you know it you really do feel like you're battling the elements but there was for me this feeling which I think is exactly what you're describing and I always thought that that was because I was walking alone most of the time but obviously it happens when you're walking with someone else too that maybe a few hours in every day my mind would go into this incredibly quiet space where there were no there weren't even any words left anymore it was just yeah I was just walking I was just existing and that I think is a very difficult place to get to in any other way. I think I think you're right. I think that's why I describe it like a meditation because mm-hmm. that's what you're looking for when you meditate, don't you? Um, so I think that's that element of, of complete disconnection from everything. But in that emptiness, anything can come, can't it? Any anything can come, and I think 
because you're you're after hours you just stop you stop thinking as you say you stop thinking you stop Mm -hmm. you stop considering anything and you just be and there's an incredible sense of release in that yeah I always say that I would never have come to my autism diagnosis if I hadn't been doing those walks it opened up a kind of forum in my mind where I could accept a completely new idea about myself and I needed to get past my conscious self to get there you know it, it opened me to new possibilities yeah. I think we we taken away everything material more or less everything financial mm-hmm. all the day-to-day ordinary problems of life had gone with that as well it, so we weren't concerned about you know had we paid the council tax or or did we need a new wheel on the van or whatever <laughs> all, all of that was gone and and our lives had gone to a far more, just a, a mode of survival, really. And it was, it was down to a really basic base level of, of food, shelter, water, warmth. Mm. Th- those being the only things that we needed to concern ourselves about. You, you were you were literally kind of pitching a tent and sleeping along the way. How was that? <laughs> well, <laughs> wild camping because we just couldn't afford campsites basically um and so to wild camp was the only only way we could do it to start with it was really really hard not only just for moth because he was struggling just to get in and out of the tent every day but really hard to find somewhere to put the tent because as you know and a lot of the path you can't find a flat spot anywhere. <laughs> you, you'll, see, you'll see some perfect campsite at lunchtime. But by the time sort of seven, eight o'clock at night, when you're thinking, I've really got to stop now, I've got to stop. You're on a slope of, of thistles and gorse for the next three miles and you can't you can't possibly stop at all. Uh, so just finding somewhere to put a tent every day was an endeavour. Yeah. And uh, I've got to say, you know, uh, when we started that walk, I really always thought I'd be somewhere near public toilets or something. There's no toilets. There's no toilets. There's no tea. There's no shops. <laughs> no shops when you need them. There are never, ever toilets when you need them. Yeah, so dog walkers became my nemesis because they get up too early. Yeah. Always there when you're trying to rush in to get out of the tent first thing in the morning. There is always a dog walker outside. <laughs> um, but then there was something else really about that wild camping and I think that was that element of never really knowing where you were going to find yourself because often by the time we got the tent up at night it was getting dark and you you weren't really 100% aware of where you are you were Mm. so often you'd wake up in the morning and you'd find that you were in this once we woke up and we were in this magical little meadow where there were millions of ladybirds just hatching into (laughs) and then other days yeah, like the day we woke up on this wet, foggy headland in a field of cows. But the sun started to break and it was it was lifting over the horizon and just lighting the headlands one by one towards us. And we could just hear the seals calling to each other in the cove below. You know, I think I think that's what the wild camping gave us more than anything. It was that real immersion in in nature, that real sense of not living alongside nature but really as part of it yeah and I, I feel like it, it it probably let you do it in the way the path wants you to to walk it in that you can't predict how long anything will take you know you can use any formula for crossing contour lines on a map that you like but 
I never, ever walked at the pace that I ever expected. And I constantly downgraded my expectations of how far I was going to get. And I still routinely didn't make my point that I was planning to finish. And it, it seems to me that there's a real wisdom to doing what you did along the path, which is just stopping when you need to stop, you know? <laughs> well, we had to, really. It was the only way, especially with, you know, moths, illness, some, some dates. We, we might only walk two miles and, and we'd have to stop and put the tent back up. Other days, you know, as time went on and we got a little bit stronger, um, maybe we were lucky if we did 10 miles a day. Um, so people constantly say, oh, what was your average mileage? Oh, I didn't have an average mileage. And she was, people will say, you know, well, didn't you do sort of three miles an hour? That's standard walking speed. There, well, there. No chance. There is no standing walking speed, is there, on that path? No. I mean, quite often I was walking for like an hour and a half and realised I'd got less than a mile. Particularly in Heartland, that was the bit that really got me. Um, yeah. <laughs> we used to say, if, we, if we're doing a mile an hour, we're, we're doing well. <laughs> yes, that's so true. But then I, I kept seeing all these incredibly fit pensioners come yomping past me and people running it. For God's sake, people run the path. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, super fit people yomping by. But luckily, usually in the other direction, so that's fine. <laughs> I'm just interrupting you for a moment to ask if you'd consider subscribing to my Patreon. Friends of the Wintering Sessions get an extended edition of the podcast a day early, the chance to put questions to my guests, a monthly bonus episode and exclusive discounts on my courses and events. Most of all, you help to keep the podcast running. To find out more, go to patreon.com forward slash Catherine May. Do take a look. Now back to the show. And that he, he had gained strength as we'd walked rather than, than losing his, his mobility as we'd been told he would. Cause, because the doctors had told him, you know, just don't get too tired and be careful on the stairs. 
Um, so we we, so we decided to scale some cliffs instead. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, um, and he's still fitting well now. He has spells when he's really not been as well as he was when we finished the path. But when he gets on a real low, we uh, pack the rucksacks and go for a walk. What a wonderful thing to have that you can you can go and go out and make yourself feel better. Yes, yeah, and that's at the moment that's the only treatment that we have so we we keep doing that right but it's it's wonderful and i think what's lovely is that you've bought extra time together somehow by going on your mission that still sounds absolutely crazy to me i mean i i admire it so much but i know i could never have done it <laughs> i'm sure you could i'm sure you could oh, oh no i'd have been a <laughs> holy nightmare <laughs> picking you up in the evening you, you would do it i know you would <laughs> yeah i'm not i'm not one of the world's campers i <laughs> So yeah tell me about um, oh, camping <laughs> yeah no yeah I, I i would do one of those lovely safari tent things you know <laughs> Not a good little green thing oh, <laughs> do like a duvet you know <laughs> yeah posh <laughs> <for myself. laughs> you decided to write about your journey and uh, you know so many people have read your the beautiful book that ensued that must have changed your world in ways you never could have expected. For a start, the love and enthusiasm for the book must have really struck you. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I wrote, I wrote the book. It wasn't really a book for people to read. I, I wrote it for Moth because I wanted to make a record of that walk because it seemed so important to us. Yeah. And he was starting to lose his memory of bits of it. So I wanted to capture it and keep it for him so that when he did start to forget it, I could put it in front of him and say, you know, look what we did. Remember, we did, you know, keep trying. You've got to keep trying. But instead? But instead, yeah, my daughter, <laughs> or he did. And she said, yeah, mummy ought to do something with this. And um, then eventually I did. Yeah. So life, life changed you for a lot. And, and maybe I'm, I'm guessing has given you a lot of security that that didn't ever look possible for you when you were writing it. I can certainly pay the rent now, which, you yeah. know, is always a pleasure. <laughs> yeah, that always <laughs> was good. You have to pay your bills, but I, I can pay my bills now. And it always makes me smile when I pay the electric bill. <laughs> not quite right about that. Is it? <laughs> no, I, I think it, I think there's huge gratitude. I, my, um, my husband, before I met him, had been made sort of effectively homeless when he was at, at, in his late teens and he was thrown out of home yeah. um, and he ended up in a sort of very difficult financial situation where he you know had caught kind of court judgments because he was 16 and trying to rent a flat with yeah. no money and I remember when we were first together he appreciated so many things that everybody else takes for granted like when we owned our first washing machine he'd go in and say good night to it every night and <laughs> I think it's really good to feel like that about the world around you. You know, it's there's there's great gratitude there. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think that will never leave me. I think it, it's really sort of ingrained in me now that uh, that sense of knowing that yeah. how things things are, are different. That I I don't stop feeling lucky or extremely grateful more mm. than anything. Yeah. Even yeah. for ordinary things, yeah. And and you you've become a fantastic advocate for for homelessness. I'm mean, sorry, an advocate for homelessness sounds terrible. You've be, you've become an advocate <laughs> for people who become homeless. I should say. Well, I think it's in, it's really important because um, 
it's very easy for many people to to regard homeless people as as just a problem in the doorway rather than the individuals with the individual stories that they are yeah um and exactly i've been i've been given this um incredible platform which a book does Mm -hmm. uh, which are in itself is a bit of a surprise (laughs) but (laughs) but yeah if, if i don't talk about homelessness in that situation then i feel as if i'm letting people down because um because I would have hoped when I was homeless that people would be trying their best to uh, raise awareness, if nothing else. Mm, absolutely. And and it's so, yeah, it's it's a it's an obligation in lots of ways, but a, a kind of warm obligation to be able to use your voice. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. To be able to actually do something, if it's only to change one person's uh, opinion of what homelessness is, then that's a step along the way to uh, actually solving the problem. I mean, yeah. We've we've just been through this incredible time when we did actually solve the problem of homelessness. Yes, yeah. Just for those few short weeks, we did not have a homeless problem. Incredibly quickly as well. It just goes to prove that it is absolutely doable and it is all about prioritising and, and what we as a country prioritise. Yeah, so important. So now, now all those homeless people who have found shelter and they've found some sort of structure to their days are very, very shortly going to be back out on the street. Mm. Back to square one. It's extraordinary, isn't it, that we have the tools to solve these things and yet we choose not to, essentially. There's no other way to think about it, I don't think. This time has shown good. It was always solvable and it was always possible to solve it virtually overnight. But we chose not to. Yeah. And we, we go on doing that. And we've chosen <laughs> to to put them back out in the streets. And um, that's a low point for anyone who's made that choice, I think. Here, here. Mm. So to finish, you were due to release a new book in the middle of lockdown um, and you've decided to delay it. But that's coming in September. Yes, September the 3rd. It should have been April, but uh, due to lockdown and um, the amount of publicity that was booked for the, the months after release, mm. it just wouldn't have been possible. So, yes, it's September the 3rd, but i um, quite excited about that, really. It's really a book that's called Wild Silence, and it follows on, really, from the salt path. So although it seems like idyllic to find yourself going from homelessness into a home again, Mm. I found it quite a difficult adjustment. And it's coming to terms with that adjustment in life and a really sort of closer look to our connection to the natural world and how that's informed our lives and is now forming our future. Yeah, that's not bad. Not giving too much away, is it? That's very good. Yeah, you said you couldn't give too much away, but that sounds absolutely amazing. And I, it strikes me already that you're talking about those those wintering moments that take you by surprise. I guess those those times when you think everything should be fine, and that's often they're often the bits that take you down the most. Exactly, and and that's um that's a real parallel with your uh, book, Wintering. We're always on slightly the same wavelength, you and I. I think. <laughs> So we'll have to have a chat about the next one when we get off. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not telling you anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think those moments in life when you expect everything to be okay and there 
they're unexpectedly not okay mm. can be really hard to to work your way through and i think this book is about one of those moments and the the strength of the natural world to pull you through and how we are all really closely connected to the natural world whether we recognize it or we don't oh Raina, it's been so lovely to speak to you and i cannot wait to read it i will be first in line at, at waterstones in <laughs> september if indeed waterstones is open by then and <laughs> We can all hope, right? Fingers crossed. (laughs) I look forward to us sharing a stage on a literary festival talking about having written a very similar book again. (laughs) I know it is. (laughs) Thank you, Catherine. It's been lovely to talk to you again. Thank you so much. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.